Talk Radio's red-headed stepchild. Solace Radio. We go where no talk radio has gone before. Have you ever been in trouble? Anybody in trouble right now? Uh, just let me encourage you with this promise of Yeshua to us. In this world, you will have trouble. I hope that encourages you. Sometimes it's just a comfort to know that all of us have trouble. You're not the only one. I was in trouble yesterday when I still didn't have a sermon to preach for tonight. Uh, I think I'm out of trouble now. Um, you know, they say in surveys, what is the scariest thing uh, for you to do? And it is, uh, generally speaking, at the top of the list to speak in public. And so I do get scared myself sometimes. It's probably good to tremble every once in a while as you come to deliver the word of God. But I don't think I'm in trouble right now. The Holy Spirit is with me, and I believe he's going to anoint me. Maybe you're in trouble. Maybe you've worked hard. You got a great degree. You got a super job, even beyond what you expected. But suddenly the company says, we're cutting back, and you don't have the seniority necessary to keep your job, and you're gone. Maybe you just found out that your son for two years has hidden from you that he's been on drugs and you've wondered why he was acting the way he is. Now, you know, you may have been told by a doctor that you only have a few months to live. Maybe you put all your money into a, uh, an investment that your friend, your trusted friend said, uh, it's a sure thing. And then discovered it was a scam and you lost your savings. James five and 13 says, is any among you, anyone among you suffering? In the NIV version, it says, is anyone among you in trouble? The Greek word can express either suffering or trouble. Then he goes on to say, is anyone in good spirits? He should sing praises. I wish I could talk about that tonight, but my subject's on prayer. We'll get to that at another time. Is anyone in good spirits? He should sing praises. Now, verse 14, is anyone among you ill? He should summon the elders of the congregation and they should pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and there was no rain on the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land sprouted with a harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, so he should know that the one who turns a sinner back from his wandering path will save that person's soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. Back in verse 10 of the same chapter, and I think I need a new microphone. It's fading, at least in the monitors. I'm in trouble. Please help. Um, in verse 10 of the same chapter, it says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name. The prophets were almost always in trouble in one kind or another. And that's why most of us would rather be non-prophets. Now, I'm wondering if we can learn something from one of those prophets, a man who was, had a freight train load of trouble in his life. Elijah was a prophet during the 9th century BC, during the reign of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Ahab was one of the great kings over the northern tribes of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, I should say. But Ahab was a weak king. He was dominated by Jezebel, his wife, and he was ready to do anything to make her happy. 
Uh, Jezebel was a princess from Tyre, from Phoenicia. And the god of the Phoenicians was known as Baal or Baal. Ahab pleased his wife by building a temple dedicated to Baal in Samaria, in the mountain heartland of the land of promise. Jezebel imported a bunch of prophets of Baal from her home country of Phoenicia and dipped into the treasury of Israel to pay their salaries. The northern kingdom of Israel was on its way to becoming a post-Adonai society with the god of Baal taking charge of the promised land. Some of us in this room are from Western nations, and we're deeply troubled by the rapid changes happening in Western society, a movement away from the absolute truths that are taught in the word of God and built upon a Judeo-Christian value system. And maybe the most shocking and disturbing thing of all is that the prophetic voice of the body of Messiah is mostly silent. Or when we do speak, most of the world doesn't listen. Could it be that we have not taken seriously what Yeshua said about being in the world but not of the world? Maybe much of the church operates today more using the value system and the success formulas of the world rather than depending upon God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Where is Elijah's church when we need it? Have the gods of mammon, apathy taken over? Are we bailing out? Sorry, the pun. Are we bailing out? On pure religion, Elijah was a true prophet of God, and he would not stay silent. But that would make life very difficult for Elijah. It would create a lot of trouble. In fact, this is what we read in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? If you're a true man or woman of God, you won't compromise on truth. And that means you're going to have a lot of trouble. It comes with the territory. Paul told us about the kind of field we're in. It's not just a harvest field, it's a battlefield. And he says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. What did Elijah do when he was in trouble, when he was in the midst of this spiritual battle, the spiritual war that he was in. He prayed. He prayed. James 5.17 says, Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed. Why did he pray? Pray because prayer works. Have you noticed that when you pray, coincidences happen? James 5.16 says that the prayers of some people have great effectiveness. Literally, in the New Testament Greek language, James says that prayer is very powerful in its working. Elijah was faced with the powers, spiritual powers and earthly powers, and they were evil powers, inspired by the devil himself, inspired by a so-called fertility god named Baal. But Elijah proved more than once that prayer is very powerful in its working. And prayer, folks, ought to be our engine and not our caboose. And that's why we built the prayer tower 10 years ago. It's the engine. It's the thing that pulls the vision that God's given us along the tracks and gets us to the goal that we need to get to. If prayer is the answer, and if it is the engine, if prayer is so powerful, even more powerful than the gods of this world, then why don't we pray all the time? <clears throat> is that a dumb question? Why don't we pray all the time? Leonard Ravenhill, that great prophetic voice of the latter part of the last century, said, the average church knows more about promotion than prayer. 
How many prayers never do get answered because they are never asked? And we've got a lot of reasons why we don't pray all the time. I'm too busy to pray. Well, if we're too busy to pray, we're probably too busy. Prayer is hard work, and I'm pretty weak. I'm tired. Hudson Taylor, that great pioneer of the gospel to China, said, Do not work so hard for Christ that you do not have strength to pray, for prayer requires strength. I'm afraid to go to God in prayer and ask him for anything. I have failed him so many times, I think he's fed up with me. I don't, I'm not worthy to go before the throne, forgetting that it's the throne of grace. And then there's this reason. I tried praying, and it didn't work. When I prayed, it was like my prayers hit the ceiling and bounced back. I'm just too discouraged to pray anymore. Prayer hasn't worked for me. But I think most of us in the room haven't given up on praying. I think we still pray because we know that without a prayer life, we don't have a prayer. But many of us who do pray, even regularly, don't get the answers to prayer like we had hoped. There is praying, which is talking to God, and then there's praying that's talking to God and God talks back to us. And there's praying that does hit the ceiling and never really reaches God effectively. And there are other prayers that God just loves to answer, and he can't wait to send the answer down from heaven. Elijah talked to God, and God talked back. Elijah touched heaven, and heaven came down to earth. How did Elijah pray? Listen to this. Elijah prayed with authority, and so should we. Elijah was convinced that he was a true, the only true believer left in the land. Yet he knew that one man with God is a majority. And he knew that the one true God of Israel was on his side. James recalls Elijah's audacious declaration in James chapter 5, verse 17, our text. It says, Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and there was no rain on the land for three years and six months. Elijah's prayer was an audacious prayer, for Elijah was not speaking, however, on his own behalf, but on God's behalf. And that's all the difference right there. Look at this, First, First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, these are the folks on the other side of the Jordan River, that's where Elijah came from, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. He went before Ahab and Jezebel, not on his own merit or with his own voice, but he went before him with the authority of the Lord. And that makes a big difference in our praying. Certainly, Elijah had no doubt about the will of God concerning the state of Israel under this king. It says in 1 Kings 16.33 that Ahab also made an Asherah pole. He did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Uh, God was very interested in this matter. Elijah was not alone in this. God is very, very concerned about this situation in the land. But not only did Elijah know that God was not going to put up with Ahab and Jezebel's evil rule, but we read in 1 Kings that Elijah was a man who heard the voice of God. If you look at 1 Kings 17, verse 2, you'll see that he heard the voice of God. In the same chapter, we read that God spoke to Elijah and said, Get up, go to Zarephath. And the Lord directed him to go to that poor widow woman. And you remember, he went and he asked her for something to eat. And she said, I've only got this little bit of flour and I've only got 
this little bit of oil in this jug and it's all going to run out. I'm going to die. And you're asking me for food. And he said, give me food. Kind of spoke with authority, audaciously and maybe upsetting to us in our more genteel way of speaking. But he knew that God had spoken. God said, get up and go. So he went. And you know the other, the rest of the story. After she said that there's just this little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, when she made him something to eat, the oil never ran dry. And there was enough flour to keep on keeping on. And then it says this in 1 Kings 17, 16, that she said, it was just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. You see, he, God had promised something to Elijah. He had heard the voice of God. He had the authority then to speak what he spoke. Elijah wasn't a man who went around demanding that rain stop or that the flour and oil should continue on his own authority. He did it because he had been talking to God and God spoke to him and God told him what he should do. And that's why his prayers were so effective, because he prayed with authority, knowing that God had told him to pray in that way, to do that very thing. But James 5.17 tells us that Elijah was a human being just like us. So those of you who have heard so far about Elijah, you said, well, that's Elijah. I mean, he was the great prophet. He's the one who came down with Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration, appeared to Yeshua, spoke to Yeshua. I mean, this is Elijah. This is not Joe Blow here. And I'm Joe Blow's wife. I mean, I'm just not in that league. Well, let me just say again what James said, Elijah was a human being like us. The point James is trying to make is we can all have effective prayers like Elijah, because we're no different than Elijah. We can pray authoritative prayers that are very powerful in their working. They are effective. Those 12 disciples were human beings very much like you and me. I love the fact that the Gospels did not hide the humanity of the disciples, the frailty, the foibles, the Goofy things they would say and do from time to time. The slowness of their understanding of what Yeshua was talking about so many times. It tells us that the disciples are like you and me. And yet, what did Yeshua say to those disciples and would say to us again tonight? In Matthew 10, 7, he said, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons authority like that to these 12 regular dudes. Are you surprised a little bit by that yourself? I I think he's talking to us too, because I'm just a dude like that. You and I have more authority and power than we realize. And if we knew how much authority we'd have in prayer, then we'd pray a lot more and we'd be a lot more effective in when we pray. And when we pray, it's not just Elijah and the 12 disciples and the other great men and women of God in the Bible who can hear the voice of God and turn prayer into a two-way communication. You and I get to hear the voice of God every day if we want to hear it. Just open up your Bible. Yes, the Holy Spirit can speak with a still small voice without the Bible, but we got the Bible because God wanted us to hear his voice every day. And I can tell you, when I open up the Word of God early in the morning in the quiet place, and my wife's doing the same downstairs, that I hear the still small voice of God every day through His Word. Without fail, I am convicted by the Word of God. He speaks to me, speaks to my spirit, convicts my heart, and encourages me that I'm not doomed, that there's hope, that there's the gospel, that there's grace, there's mercy. Hallelujah. You get to hear the voice of God. He directs your path. He moves you here, there, and everywhere if you'll let him do that. And he guides your praying. 
Let's look at what it says earlier in James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Is anyone among you ill? He should summon the elders of the congregation, and they should pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James shows us a pattern. We see healing not when lone rangers hold healing meetings, but when they are in the community of believers, that's the normal place where God moves by his power and does miracles and even heals the sick. That's the norm. It's the exceptional that happens out there in the big meetings. The norm is in the congregation of God's people in community. James says in verse 14 that we should summon the elders. Who are the elders? Those old guys. No, not always. Just a few of us. These are people that are appointed to be leaders over the congregation. These are not self-appointed people. These are people that you notice that God uses them in unusual ways, and you notice that they have character, which is spelled out in Timothy and Titus, and they are operating. People actually follow them, and so they they are leaders. And so then people lay hands on them and say, these are the leaders because they're already leading. That's who elders are. You don't just suddenly become an elder. You don't just suddenly declare you're an apostle or a prophet. It's when you, it's obvious because you're doing the stuff, then people acknowledge it and they ordain you and they anoint you with oil and do all that stuff. And it's usually within the context of the local body of a congregation in community that powerful prayers get released to heaven and heaven comes down to earth. How many of you believe what the word of God says tonight? You're not enthusiastic, but I've seen your hands. I see those hands. And how should we view these elders? Now, now that I'm not the senior pastor, I can talk about these things easier. It doesn't sound quite as self-serving. But let me say some things that maybe bother some of you in the room, just to be a troublemaker like Elijah, okay? Even though I'm far from Elijah. Okay. First Peter 5.5 5 says this, Be subject to the elders and all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you want God to move in your life? Do you want the grace of God to be poured out in his gifts, even the gifts of healing and miracles and prophecy and all of those wonderful things? Submit, subject yourself to the elders. That's a tough word. I I, I know I'm offending a bunch of people. Actually, maybe because you're here tonight, I'm not offending so many. Maybe I need to go out on the streets and preach this. But I have noticed that in the places in the world where elders respect and esteem and are willing to submit to leaders in the body, I'm talking about good leaders, not unhealthy, destructive leaders, in the world where people actually respect leaders still, unlike the Western world, places like Asia where elders are respected even in general society, let alone the congregations. In South America, where sometimes pastors are put on pedestals, they they respect them too much, give them too much esteem. In Africa, you see the same thing. But in those places, more miracles happen than in the Western world, where we don't want to submit to any leadership, where individualism characterizes our Western society, where we are proud, not humble. And when you're proud and not humble, you don't get the grace of God that Peter says we should be receiving. Have I stepped on anybody's toes? I don't know. In much of the Western world today, we have a 
a body of believers that are consumers and are on a perpetual shopping spree looking for the latest ideas and trends in, in biblical and spiritual and theological ideas where they can get what they think will satisfy their curiosities and their, their desires, get that exciting new teaching that will tickle uh, their itching ears. And we were, we're told in the Bible that that's what's going to happen in the last days, and we're seeing it all over the place where people don't want to be in community because they don't want to be in relationship with leaders because we're all leaders, or none of us are leaders. And I have nothing against those little groups that pop up in in houses and apartments all over the world. And that's the way it worked in China for for many decades when when they had to hide out and they were in little groups of people. There's nothing wrong with anything that's little. Don't despise anything that's little. Little is much when God is in it. But when people gather in the groups because they are not, they're upset with some other group and they think that there should be no leaders in the body. We have the opposite problem. We used to, you know, in, the, in Corinthians it was, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of the Messiah. Now it's like, I'm of nobody. I am the leader of me. That's the attitude that we have in much of our Western society today. I'm surprised more people haven't walked out on me yet could still happen. Well, James tells us to pray for our breakthrough and exercise our authority in prayer to the degree that we are under authority. We have authority to the degree that we're willing to be under authority. God can trust us with authority when he knows that we're willing to submit to authority. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. So James tells us, summon the elders of the congregation. Let them join in prayer and anoint with oil. The last part of the verse, verse 14, is very revealing about these elders. It says that they do these things for us or with us in the name of the Lord. Not in their name and not to puff up that they've got these great healing powers or miraculous powers. But in order to glorify God, they do it for him and with his authority. And that's when breakthroughs were going to happen in your life. Authority. I come now to a second part of effective praying. Not only did Elijah pray with authority and we should be praying with authority. Because we're just like Elijah, and we can do what he does through the power of God and to the glory of God. But secondly, there's another way to have effective praying. It's this. Elijah prayed with faith, and so should we. We looked at, at the earlier miracle of Elijah where he stopped the rain for over three years. But he reverses the climate at the end of that. And we read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 18, verse 41 to 45. It says, then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Really? So Ahab went up to eat and drink while Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. He bent down toward the ground and put his face between his knees. He told his servant, go up and look in the direction of the sea. So we went on up, looked and reported, there is nothing. Seven times Elijah sent him to look. The seventh time, the servant said, look, a small cloud the size of the palm of a man's hand is rising up from the sea. Elijah then said, go and tell Ahab, pitch up the chariots and go down so that the rain won't overtake you. Meanwhile, the sky was covered with dark clouds. The wind blew and there was a heavy rainstorm. Elijah was a man of incredible faith. It hadn't rained for three and a half years. By now, a lot of people thought that there's not going to be any more rain. It's been like this a long time. It is not a fad. It is a trend. It's where the world is going. No rain. It's a result of global warming, they said. 
Pretty soon the world is going to come to an end. We're all going to dry up. We're going to wither like raisins in the sun, and we're done. Elijah, though, had eyes of faith, and he had ears of faith. It's amazing. He knew in his spirit. God had revealed it to him. God had spoken to him in that still small voice, probably. And he obeyed that voice. He commanded the clouds to come in and the rain to fall and that it would happen exactly as the Lord had promised him. And then he could hear the rain when there was no sign of rain. He could see a rain cloud even when the servant said, there is nothing. James agrees that the prayer of faith is effective. Listen to this, James five fourteen and 15. Is anyone among you ill? He should summon the elders of the church, and they should pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So when the Lord is telling you to pray for rain, make sure you bring a pail and maybe some galoshes too. I remember when there was a huge drought in Israel a number of years ago, almost two decades ago, and I remember the Sea of Galilee got so low that it was below the red line, below the second red line, to the point when, when uh, the scientists were saying it's a, it's, there's going to be permanent damage to this seabed and this water source, and, and we're in trouble now. And I remember that, that leaders in the land and the body said, let's pray about this. Let's really get serious about this and called corporate prayer meetings all over the country. And you know, it wasn't long. It was very quick. When near the end of the season of rain, when there was little hope, suddenly the rains came and we got more rain than we could handle. And though the waters of that water of the Sea of Galilee rose several meters to the point that when storms came up and the waves came crashing, they were crashing against restaurants on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in Tiberias. And the shoreline was way out there just a month prior to that, and suddenly the waves are crashing up and destroying restaurants along the Sea of Galilee. You know that God answers prayer. But it's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer that you believe that God is going to answer, and he answers, and amazing things happen. I remember we went out to uh, the Shepherd's Fields years ago. I'm thinking almost 30 years ago. King of Kings, that was our tradition. We would go just before the Lord's birth and in the shepherd's fields, just close to where he was born, and we would sing. And then we got the weather report, and they said, it's going to rain real hard. We said, we're going anyway. We went out there with a bus when it was safe to do so back then, and we saw the rain come down. It was raining hard, and we began to pray that the Lord would open the heavens, the clouds would move back, and that we would have just for our time of singing a break in the rain. Did you, you know something? We looked up in the sky. There was a circle around our head of open space where we saw the stars. God cares about the big things, but he also cares about the little things that trouble us, the little foxes, the little things that bother us. Now, I don't know about the farmers that were there. They may have been upset with our praying, but God cares about even these things. God answers prayer when you believe that it's possible, that it's possible even to change the climate if you pray. Hallelujah. Matthew 18, 18 and 20 says, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. Again, I tell you the truth. If two on earth agree about whatever you ask, 
My Father in heaven will do it for you, for where two or three are assembled in my name, I am there among them. Yeshua promises us that he is here with us when we are in agreement together. We are together in one place in his name, not just gathered for club meeting, but in his name. And what does Yeshua do when we gather? He plays the role that he plays so well today. Yeshua did great things in the three and a half years that he was here, but you know, he left the earth and he went to a retirement village in the sky and he's got his feet up on the porch and he's reading novels and he's having a great time. No, no. What's he doing? He is the great high priest. He is the intercessor. He is working 24-7. He's not in retirement. He is on our side. He is mediating on our behalf to the same father he prayed to all the time while he was on the earth. And he gets the oil into the gears of our prayers and helps them reach the place they're supposed to go. Aren't you thankful that Yeshua, wherever two or three are gathered in his name? Again, it's corporate. Again, it's community. It's the primary place. It's the normal place. It's the not. It's the old normal. It's not the new normal. It's the same normal that always was normal. That in community, Yeshua shows up and he intercedes on our behalf as our great high priest. When Yeshua agrees with you in prayer, you can bet the prayers are going to be answered. Anything you pray according to the will of God will come to pass. Now, I want to just give you a few simple reasons to believe. Reasons to have a prayer of faith on your lips, okay? Listen to them real quick. Number one, God wants to answer your prayer, even in your impossible situation, in order to prove again to the world that he is the Lord. He is God. How do I know that? Well, we read it in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 38 to 39. We see that Elijah is confronting the, the, the prophets of Baal, and, and it's, a, it's a showdown. Who's going to bring fire down from heaven to the, upon the altar and burn the sacrifice? And remember, Elijah, he digs a ditch and even puts water in the ditch. I mean, there's famine, right? He puts water in the ditch, and he wants to make sure that nobody would ever say that Elijah pulled this off. It had to be a supernatural thing that happened, and what happens? Fire comes down. Now, what happens to the prophets of Baal when this God does this thing? It says this in uh, chapter 18, verse 38 and 39. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I didn't repeat that. It's in the text, repeated twice. (laughs) The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God wants to answer your prayers, not just because you're such a really cool person and he just loves doing stuff for you. No, he does stuff sometimes for himself. And one of those things is he shows off. He demonstrates to the world that he has more power than some fertility God from Phoenicia. (laughs) He's more powerful than demons that are flying around in the sky and sometimes landing in people. He is more powerful than any evil power in the world today. And he'll just put, and it doesn't matter how much the people doubt it, he'll just throw more water on the sacrifice and say, okay, watch this, I can burn this sacrifice. You can put all the water you want in there. 
I'm coming down. I'm bringing my fire with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Here's another reason to believe. Here's another reason to believe that your prayer of faith will be effectual. It's this. God loves you. You are his child. Any good father gives good gifts to his children. Do I need to say any more about that? Number three, God has answered your prayers before. Check out his track record. Look back at the Ebenezer Stone. Look at what he's already done. He did it once. He can do it again. Does that build up your faith? I love, you know, I have every morning, I have a number of things that I do. It's a bit of a ritual. I do it according to the tabernacle and the priest goes the various steps to the to the laver, to the altar, to the to the table of uh, showbread, to the candelabra, goes to the altar of incense, goes into the Holy of Holies. I do the whole thing. I've been doing it for almost 30 years. I'm sorry that I have a ritual, but I need it. I have to have a guide to take me through. And every time I go through this, I pray at that altar of incense, but I pray with thanksgiving because the Bible tells me to do that. And when I pray with thanksgiving, I have to list the things I'm thankful for. And so many of the things I'm thankful for that I write down. Well, now I speak to my computer using one of these voice recognition things. I used to write it down. I say to the computer, it's really to God, and the computer is not a mediator between me and God. Okay, have I said enough just to clarify? Um, (laughs) I state with specificity that I am thankful, Lord, for what you did yesterday. You broke through. You helped me. You helped our family. You fixed that problem and I, I've, I've got records now for years and your decades now of the things that God has done because I prayed and you prayed. We all prayed and God did something powerfully. And I have a monument to God's goodness and his faithfulness to keep his promises to his people. It's amazing. My wife has a whole journal just telling of the miracles that have happened in the last 13 or 14 years when God told us to buy this place and then the top floor and ended up with 30 title deeds in this building. I mean, this is crazy, folks, but it happened in answer to prayer. Hallelujah. It's amazing. Okay, where am I? I'm almost done. There's another key to having prayers that work, and it's this. James 5.17 says that Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and there was no rain in the land for three years and six months. Earnestly. In the original Greek, it says actually, and it's kind of like a Hebraic way of saying things, he prayed with prayer. It, it, it intensified. It's, it's not just regular praying, it's praying with prayer. <laughs> okay? Earnestly, fervently. And then we read in the life of Elijah, It says in chapter 18, verse 42, So Ahab went up to eat and drink while Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. He bent down toward the ground and put his face between his knees. When's the last time you prayed like that? We've got all these different positions of prayer. You pray with your hands raised. You pray kneeling on the floor. Uh, When's the last time you put your head between your knees and prayed? What is that position? That's a weird position. That position says... I am desperate. I am dependent on you, O Lord. I can't stand. I'm not strong enough to stand. I can't kneel. I, my, my knees are bad. I'm, I'm finished, Lord. I need a breakthrough. I, my head's down, Lord. I'm in a fetal position, Lord. <laughs> come, to, come to the rescue, Lord. I am 
destitute. That's what praying earnestly is. And I remember growing up, my father was a pastor, and hardly anybody ever does it anymore. We do it differently because we have a prayer tower. But we used to, Sunday nights after the service, my dad almost every time would say, let's go to the prayer room. And in the prayer room, we would get down and we would pray. And nobody went down for two or three or five minutes. You were embarrassed to get up that soon. These were tarrying services. You tarry, you wait on God until the breakthrough. You don't get up until you have this confidence in your spirit that God has heard the prayer and he's about to answer the prayer. That's what it was like back then. I think we need more of that. I think we need more of that. I don't want to go back to the good old days and do it the way we did it. But the essence of it, put your head between your knees and cry out for mercy. Get desperate with God actually works. And I don't want to go through my testimony again of how the Lord met me about 14 years ago in the Galilee when I was desperate, when I thought the ministry was coming to an end and King of Kings was looking more like Prince of Prince. Uh, it just wasn't growing anymore. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't what it should be. And I got desperate with God and I fasted and I prayed and I sought his face. I got desperate. I didn't have my head between my knees, but I was in that same uh, position in my spirit. And God answered that prayer. And I'll tell you, I got a download from heaven that has changed my life. And I still operate in that same transformation, spiritual reality today. And I could tell you story after story. And I don't want to tell them all now. I got to leave it for the book that my wife will write. But it's amazing what God has done. And it's not about me. So that's another reason I don't want to go into this. It's about all of us, all of us, disciples of the Lord. But fervency in prayer, desperation in prayer makes a difference. You know, Yeshua went to that man who for 38 years lay by a pool waiting for the waters to move and be the first guy to get in so he could be healed. Now, I don't know if he turned that poolside into kind of a vacation time. Maybe he was on, uh, what do you call those chairs? A lounge chair. There's a better word for that, a classier word than lounge chair. What is it? A chaise lounge. A chaise lounge. I don't know that he was just getting comfortable. You know, he's, he's liking his, his deal. Uh, he's enjoying the pity party. Maybe. Because what happens is Yeshua comes along and asks a really dumb question. He says, do you want to be made well? I've been here 38 years. Of course I want to be made well. But Yeshua discerned that he wasn't all that anxious to be made well. There were some benefits somehow. I don't know. Maccabi, maybe that, you know, he got a special pension. He didn't have to go to work because he was disabled. I don't know. And I, I'm not mocking anybody in this because there's genuine reasons why sometimes we can't do anything. It's true. But Yeshua says, do you really want to be well? Because Yeshua, I think, would ask each and every one of us, do you really want a breakthrough in your life? Do you really want that job so that you can work for a living? Do you really want that wife or that husband? Do you really, really, really want it? And sometimes the Lord doesn't heal us until he knows that we really, really, really desire what God's placed upon our heart. And that's where fasting comes in. I'm not going to preach on fasting tonight because I want somebody else to preach on fasting. I like slowing, not fasting myself. But uh, I have fasted and I continue from time to time to fast because I believe in it, but I don't think I'm an expert on it. But this one thing about fasting is one of the purposes of fasting is that you show God you really, 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 really 
really, really want what you believe God has for you to have. It is that desperation. It is that fervency in prayer. It is that tarrying in prayer, waiting until the breakthrough comes. That's part of being effective in praying. And I'm really near the end. I could go on with all kinds of uh, illustrations. The man who knocks on the door until he gets the bread. The woman at the door until she gets justice. Uh, you know, we're not in an, when it comes to spiritual things, uh, we're not in an ATM world. We don't just go get 400 shekels instantly out of the machine. No, we have to persevere and really passionately, fervently want the things that we have, and then God gives it to us. And he gives it usually in greater abundance than we could have ever gotten out of an ATM machine. Believe me. Believe me. But that's the way God works. William Gurnall said this, Some prayers have a longer voyage than others, but when they return with their richer lading, but then they return with their richer lading at last. You never want to have to say a really great quote like that and stumble in the middle and have to say it again. It just doesn't have the effect. Let me say it one more time, all right? Can I say this? Maybe it's not worth saying. Some prayers have a longer voyage than others, but then they return with their richer lading at last. Jacob wouldn't let go until he got the blessing. Some of us let go too fast. We, we ought to be hanging on to God until we get the blessing, and that may mean fasting. Oh, fasting, you know, those two porn shops that were out here, we couldn't get those things out of here no matter what we tried. We prayed a lot. But then we decided, somebody really smart on our team said, why don't we try fasting? Tried everything else. Let's try fasting. We fasted, and you know what? Instead of us having to find the owner of one of them, and we thought he was in the mafia and it would be pretty scary to find him, didn't really want to find him, we want him out, but we really don't want him out because then we get in trouble, whatever. The guy, the owner, comes to us searches us out and says, do you want to buy my shop? And by the end of the day, we had a verbal agreement. And within a week or two, we had a written agreement. And he's out of there, man. Neither of those porn shops are there now because we fasted and we prayed. <laughs> Praise God. We really, 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 really wanted them out of there and to put in there a family counseling center. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I conclude. James says in James 5.16 that the prayer of a righteous man is effective. Elijah was willing to believe what is right and do what is right, even when the rest of the world around him was in rebellion. He could be trusted with delegated authority because God could trust him because he did whatever God told him to do. He was the right stuff for God. He was right with God. You and I need to be in a right relationship with God and in a right relationship with our neighbor and our congregation and our elders, if we're going to see these prayers hit the mark and be answered. Some of you are not in a right relationship with God. No wonder the prayers are not being answered. I'm not saying this to everybody. There's lots of reasons why our prayers aren't answered, including the sovereignty of God and the mystery that we don't understand sometimes why the prayer isn't answered now. But we trust God anyway. But it says that we need to be right with God, and then our prayers get answered. That's what it says. James 5.16 says, so confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The point that James is trying to say is your rightness or your righteousness is not about that you have perfectly obeyed God all the time, but that you admit that you sin. And when you sin, you say, oh, Lord, 
I confess, I agree with you, I have sinned, I turn from my sin, and you know what happens? You become righteous. And when you're righteous, that means when you pray, you're praying effective prayers. For John tells us, if we will confess with our mouth, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness, righteousness. The prayer of a righteous person avails much. If we will confess that we sin because we're imperfect and we are always right, then he makes us right. And we take on the robes of his righteousness and God sees us through his son. He sees us wearing his garments. He sees us wearing white, not black or blue. He sees his righteousness and we are in him and he is in us. And so if you will confess your sins, if you're out of order, you're not right with God, you're not right with your brother or sister, you're not right with the congregational leaders, if something's not right, all you have to do is confess that one to another and to the Lord and get in a right place. And when you need a breakthrough, God's going to help you get that breakthrough because the word of God tells us those kinds of prayers are effective. Praise God. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its working. Lord, help us to be a people of prayer, not just going through the motions, but when we pray, oh God, that you will hear our prayer, you will answer our prayer, we will see miraculous breakthrough, not just little breakthroughs, but huge breakthroughs, Lord, that even the the prophets of evil and of Baal will say that you are the Lord because of answers to prayer that we have seen. Oh God, let us not give up too soon. Let us keep on keeping on and seeing your breakthrough in Yeshua's name. Amen. You're listening to Solace Radio, Monta Vista, Colorado. If you like the programming you hear on Solace Radio, please become a partner with us and donate any amount you'd like, and we'd sure appreciate it. And it helps us to reach more and more people around the world with this great message of hope. Thank you for listening to Solace Radio. Now, back to our program. 